You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Ruth. This series uses the book of Ruth to explore how God wields hopeless, difficult, and mundane situations in life to bring about hope, love, and redemption. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. We are in a sermon series in the book of Ruth, uh, just four short chapters, and we're going to have six messages. Today, I'm going to double-click, though, again, on this uh, idea of suffering. And I had someone in the Kirk location, Kirkwood location that just got started say, man, seems kind of strange, like, you know, just for a new, you know, a new deal to talk about suffering, you know, three different times. And I was like, well, if you're going to be a, a part of Jubilee Church, you're going to have to know how to suffer. And so, um, not really. But anyway, um, we, I do, this, there's some very important things here. Next, the next few weeks are going to speed up. So the next few weeks, we're going to hit chapters two, three, and four uh, consecutively. And, and, and again, these next two weeks, we're going to hit some interesting subjects, some subjects, kind of the reason why we did Ruth in the first place. We're going to hit stuff about singleness, uh, dating, manhood, womanhood, uh, marriage, uh, making decisions in the context of God's uh, sovereignty, really practical. If you've got questions, especially about... Uh, you know, because when you're, when you're single, sometimes it can be very confusing, especially uh, in the church. If you've got any questions along those lines, uh, if you uh, write that on your communication card, I will do my best to kind of weave in and maybe address it. Don't hold me to it, but I'll, I'll at least consider that. It might be helpful if you have the idea, um, someone else may as well. But today, like I said, I want to double click on this idea of suffering because there's a very important um, theme uh, that uh, that I think I, I, well, that I know that I want to talk about that because because Ruth said something last week that I don't know about you but when I first read it, it it caused me to to think a little bit about what she was saying and that was when she's like she basically says God you're against me she says don't call me uh, Naomi anymore which means pleasant call me Mara which means bitter in fact she says uh, that God has dealt bitterly with me she said that. He's brought me back empty. You know, I started full, and what God did in my life is he brought me empty. And then she says, he testified against me. You know, he's brought, you know, she's just kind of like, just being totally honest and raw and, you know, accusation. almost like, can you say that? I mean, is that, is that okay? You, I mean, is she going to get struck by lightning? Is something really bad? Can you, can you do that? Is that okay? Is it okay to be that honest with God? And... Um, you know, she doesn't get struck by lightning, so you assume it's okay. But no, you, you, it doesn't really, the story didn't really say, you know, in principle, whether this is a good idea or not a good idea. So what, what, what it's important to do is go, so I went outside of, of the Ruth section to say, is there anywhere else where we can um, find out if this is an okay response? And it's always important, just on, on that note, it's always important to let Scripture interpret Scripture, which means if you ever read something, it's like it doesn't make sense. What you shouldn't do is just ins- insert your opinion there. What you should do is we'll find out if there's somewhere else in the Bible that can help you understand uh, what's happening. And so that's what I did. So I just thought, like, well, who are some of the key sufferers? Well, Job comes to mind. What, what, what did Job have to say? Well, he says this in Job 6.4. He says, for the arrows of the Almighty are in me. God's just, he's just reared back and fired and shot arrows at me. The terrors of God are against me. God is opposing me. He's against me. What is my strength that I should wait? And what is my end that I should be patient? I've lost strength. I've lost patience. Sounds very Naomi-esque. 
Very honest, very raw, very disillusioned. David. David was a guy that was described as, as a man after God's own heart. Certainly he wouldn't wave his fist at God. Well, some psalms are songs of thanksgiving and rejoicing, and some are songs of lament. And this is a song of lament, Psalm 39, because he's lamenting. He says, I dwell with you as a stranger. He's like, God, I don't even know you anymore. You're not even my friend. You're like a foreigner, he says. You're like a stranger. Look away from me that I may enjoy my life again before I depart and am no more. So here's what he's saying. Before I die, I'd like to have a little bit of joy. So could you go, please? Because when you show up, joy leaves. And then the psalm ends. Most psalms, they, uh, David rebounds and says, but, you know, Oh Lord, you're my strength, and oh Lord, you're my refuge, and, and you're my fortress. Not this one. But hey, that's Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Well, Paul says this to the Corinthians. A thorn in my flesh was given to me. We don't know exactly what that thorn was, but it wasn't good. And he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord that it should leave me. That it should leave me. This wasn't like, hey God, you know, maybe in, in your divine wisdom, if it is your will, will you please remove this thorn from me? This was, this should not be with me. Please take this away from me. Very honest in his struggle, in his suffering. And then, of course, Jesus, who is the chief sufferer uh, in the Bible, on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, that word forsaken, that is strong language. That is, that is disappointment, that is disillusionment. It even has a hint in it of accusation. God, you've left me. And we, but we know about Jesus. He never sinned. So it's okay to be honest. It's okay to, it's okay to express our, our pain and our suffering to God. That we shouldn't bottle it up. That we should, when we're experiencing, well, we just got to bottle it up, just got to dig that, no. But at the same time, we shouldn't just kind of like, you know, just spout out to anyone. I mean, look what it says. This is so helpful in Psalm 126.5. He says, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. So we don't bottle up. There's something about our tears that God finds precious. There's something about our tears that, that are worth something. They're like seed. They're, they, they can bring about a good harvest. And if you bottle it up, you know, there's no harvest. But if you, if you just, if you just throw, your, throw your tears at just hard ground, you know, kind of like this pearl before swine type thing, you know, if you do that, there's going to be no harvest, but there's a way that you can aim your tears. You can direct your tears. You can direct your pain and your, your sorrow in such a way that you will reap a harvest. Or maybe you're saying, like, Brian, like, you know, what are you saying? Well, what I'm saying is, like, I'm saying that what the scriptures are trying to impress upon us, what, we're, what we see in the life of Naomi, that it is so important that when we struggle, when we're suffering, that we are honest with God and we're honest with one another. You say, well, Brian, you know, it's like, you know, I don't know that, you know, I feel, I feel hesitant to be that kind of honest to God. There's something in me that just feels like I, I, that's not right or I shouldn't do that. And I certainly don't want to be honest with, you know, Christians. I've done that before. That didn't go well. What can you give me? What can you share with us this morning to, to help us be like Naomi and to be honest when we struggle. Well, the quintessential, the, the best place for this 
Uh, my favorite place for being honest with God is, is um, uh, Hebrews, thir- uh, excuse me, Hebrews 4, uh, verse 13. You could turn there in one of those uh, black Bibles, your phone or whatever. We'll have this on the screen. This is what, this is what the writer says in Hebrews 4.13. And he says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must be of account. So what this text is saying is that you can put secrets right up there with unicorns and the Easter bunny because they don't exist. There is no such thing as a secret. This is what uh, David is both rejoicing and lamenting when he says, hey, where can I go from your presence? You know, if I go to the top of the mountain, you're there. But if I swim to the depth of the sea, you're there too. If, you know, if I, if I go over here, you're there. If I go over there, you're, you're there. No matter where I go, you are there. He he knows what you tell everyone on Facebook. And he knows the things that you want to keep privately that you don't want anyone to know. He knows. I mean, it's a terrifying idea, really. But why, why should you be honest with God when you struggle? Why should you communicate to him when you are in pain, when you are suffering, because he already knows. He knows. I mean, it's just a simple reality that I find really freeing to know like, hey, yeah, I can tell God whatever I'm going through because you know what? He already knows anyway. So there's no reason to keep a secret. There's some more things that he says. It says in verse 14, therefore, since we have a great high priest, which I love that, Jesus is our mediator, which means that it's just, it, there's nothing between us and God. We don't need a pastor. We don't need a priest. We don't need to pray to somebody else to get to God. It's just he is now our great mediator who passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Holding fast to your confession is going to release you, to be honest. Why is that? Because what is our confession? Our confession is, this is how you became a Christian. If you are a Christian, I know not everyone is today. If you're not, we should talk later. But if... For those of us who are a Christian, our confession is, I've made a mess of my life, and I need Jesus to save me. That is our confession. Let us never, ever, ever move away from, I've made a mess of my life. I make mistakes. I'm beset with weaknesses. I struggle. I sin, and I need Jesus to save me. One of my hopes for Jubilee, we're 18 years old. One of my hopes is that we, that we exist for 100, 200 years. I, I want... I want this thing to keep going and going and going and going, but I always hope that we feel like we're like two years old. And here's why. And we will feel that way if we hold fast to our confession, if we have this humble confidence, humble knowing, hey, I, make, I'm, I'm, I struggle, I have sins, but confidence knowing that Jesus is my Savior. If we hold fast to our confession that I've made a mess of my life and I need Jesus to save me, we'll feel that way we'll have this kind of newness of life among us but also it means that we'll be honest the apostle of love writes in his first epistle um, 1 john 1 he says if you say that you have no sin you're a liar wait a minute you're supposed to be the apostle of love yeah i know you're a liar if you say you have no sin how do you say you have no sin well when you pretend that everything is okay and you're not honest when you struggle Here comes the cornerstone verse. For we do not have a high priest 
who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who in every respect, that word right there, every, let that repeat in your mind over and over again, every, every, every respect, we'll come back to that, has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So what the scriptures are going to say is that all the temptations that you and I face, all of them Jesus faced. All of them he faced. Now, we don't like to think of Jesus that way. Um, but he experienced, he, is, he, had, there, there, there's not, uh, he had been frightened with every fear. He's been beset with every anxiety. He was depressed by every worry, yet he encountered all of those situations without sinning. He was human. This, is, this, this kind of brings us to this very, very important theological idea that I need to unpack for a second. And that is that Jesus was fully God, 100% God, and also 100% man. So Philippians 2 uh, says that he was in the form of God, yet did not account uh, equality with God something to be grasped. Which means this, that he stayed God, he just didn't access his divine characteristics. What do, you, what do I mean by that? Well, God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at once at all times. So he's, he's here right now. He's in Jakarta. He's in Beirut. He's in uh, New Jersey. He is in London, England. He is in London, England now. He's in London, England 400 BC. And he is in London, England 200 years from now all at once. He is omnipresent. Jesus entered a time-space world. He, was, he lived a certain time. He, was not, he, he lived his years in order, just like we do. And he was not in two places at once. He did, he did not make himself omnipresent. Um, God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He knows everything. You know, who, who is man, I mean, man going to teach God something? No, he knows everything. But, but it says multiple times, that, that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. But he had to learn things. He had to learn how to tie a shoe, ride his chariot, whatever. I mean, he, just, he had to do every little thing. He had, I could go on and on. But he didn't, he didn't access. So he was, and we don't like to think of Jesus this way, but he faced every struggle. He, he had financial struggles. He was homeless. He couldn't pay his taxes. Luckily, there's a fish with a coin in his mouth, so he paid his taxes. But he had financial struggles. He had relationship struggles. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. Thomas doubted him. He had, he experienced temptation. He experienced temptation, abused power. He had, you know, there's times where he's like, you know, I could, I could send a legion of angels right now. I could come with revenge. I could fight evil with evil. He fought the temptation to abuse power. He experienced the temptation to disobey God in the garden of Gethsemane, which is the night before he went to the cross. He said, it says, with loud tears, basically, I want to disobey you, God. I don't want to do this. He expe- but he did obey God. Not my will, but your will be done. But he experienced the temptation to run in the opposite direction. He also experienced sexual temptation. Now, I know we like to think of Jesus painted glass, like he's just, he's there. But he, it says every temptation, every temptation. I don't know a man 
who does not experience the temptation of lust. I don't know a person, any living thing. He experienced that. You better, he experienced sexual temptation. I mean, there's that one time where uh, this prostitute uh, came to his feet and poured out uh, this expensive perfume on his feet and began massaging his feet with her. I guess she had really long hair because I don't know how else she would like, do that. But he massaged. You know, you know, the thought that went through his mind was a thought that would have crossed anybody's mind any male's mind, which is, here's a sex expert who's into me. Now, he did not sin. He did not give in that temptation. He resisted that thought and went on. But he, it was there. Just like it is for you, it was there for him. Yet he did that without sin. He, he was... He had a human, and there's some, because sometimes, sometimes we think like, you know, the son, you know, well, yeah, but, you know, Jesus was different, you know, he was just kind of, you know, he, like, so when he was beaten with a whip, that was an actual back, that was actual flesh being ripped, uh, muscles being ripped, flesh being ripped, nerves being exposed, that was an actual back. When he was nailed to the cross, those were his actual physical hands, just like your hands, just like his feet. And when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he felt forsaken. He felt abandoned. He wasn't some actor in a play. It's for our benefit. It's the way he felt. Because he came, he took on the form, he became one of us. He's as much human as you are. He's as much human as I am. There was no moment where he just, oh, I'm Superman, I'm really, am, you know, I'm just. He, that wasn't him. And he was human. He, he said, God, this is how I feel. What about you? Someone comes to you. Your marriage is like one day away. Hey, how's your marriage? Praise the Lord. This is the day the Lord has made. What? Jesus was human. Are you human? He was honest when he suffered, when he struggled. See, I mean, even like in our songs, you know, it's like that way to make, you know, little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Really? What babies you know that don't cry? If you have a baby, by the way, that doesn't cry, there's something wrong with your baby. <laughs> like, you might want to chain that baby to the bed at night because he's going to eat you in the middle. He's going to do something. <laughs> there's something wrong with that baby if it doesn't, no crying he makes. It is not a human child that's... That's, a, that's, a, that's some other, some sci-fi thing going on. Can you be honest with your struggle? We want to be a place where it's okay not to be okay. So what does that mean? Do we just kind of give in to our humanity and just kind of like wallow in our pity? No, verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Because he knows everything. Because he himself can sympathize with every weakness 
that he was in every respect tempted as we are, we can be confident in running to him and drawing near to a throne of grace. Now, it's important to know that because we don't, it's a throne of grace. It's not a throne of law. If it's a throne of law, you're going to shrink back from God. If you think you're running to some guy who's going to crack the whip, he's going to give you a, a stern talking to, you're going to shrink back from God. You're going to shrink back from him, from others. So now we draw, we, we draw near to a throne of grace. Now grace is important to understand a few things about grace. Grace is a theology, it's a practice, and it's an atmosphere. And it's important to get all three. So the theology, you know, we know, most of us cognitively understand grace. And that is that we are sinners, that we deserve to die we deserve to die because of our sin. We deserve the cross. But Jesus died in our place. So we have acceptance with God, not because of anything we've done, no efforts on our part, but because everything that he's done, that is a theology of grace in a nutshell. Now, that has to lead to a practice of grace. What is a practice of grace? It means that because I understand that Jesus loved me while I was yet a sinner... While I was waving my fist at God, while I was running away from him like a spoiled teenager, that in that context he loved me despite me. And he ran after me. He didn't love me because there was anything intrinsically um, lovely about me. But he just loved. And because I vertically understand that, that leads me to horizontally love people regardless of who they are, the color they are, uh, the, the, the politics they hold, the shape they are, the, the age they are, the economic background they are, the edu- anything like that. Not only that, no matter how they treat me, I can extend grace and love to someone who is my enemy because I have a theology of grace that doesn't just stay in my brain but it moves into my heart and then it moves out into a practice of forgiving those who hurt me. Of loving those who don't love me. But I just love because he first loved me. As a, as a practice of grace. Now that practice of grace, if, if people are practicing that grace, that creates an atmosphere of grace. And this is really important. I'll come back at the end to explain to you why this is important. But it's really important that we have an atmosphere of grace. And one of my great joys is that by far and away, the, 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 best, the, the most common feedback that we get that's positive um, is, uh, there's some negative feedback, but there's some positive feedback, is, man, this is such a warm and accepting place. Now, that's not personality. That's not somebody's job description to be warm and accepting. That is, that is a atmosphere of grace that has been born out a practice of grace that's come out of a theology of grace and we need to we need to understand that we that when we go to jesus that we that we know that we're going to someone who is gracious and if we're if we understand that that we will be people of grace that we will practice grace and then we'll create this atmosphere of grace it is super super important so because of this because we have confidence to go toward this thorn of grace, uh, throne of grace, we will receive mercy and find grace and our help of need. So what, here's what grace is. Grace isn't lowering the bar. It, it's raising you up over the bar. So you are dead in your sins. 
but Christ made you alive in him. And it doesn't say then he, he lowered the bar really low so you could get over it, so you could be welcomed in. But he raised you up with Christ. He's brought you up. He, he's risen you up. And he's, he wants to give you help. So we say, like, hey, it's okay to be okay. Well, it's not okay to be okay with not being okay. Did you get that? It's not okay to be okay with not being okay. What I mean by that is not like, oh, yeah, you're right, I'm a loser, I'm horrible. Hey, you know, let's go watch a movie. No, it's, it's no, no, no. We run to the throne of grace because he's going to give us mercy and he's going to give us help. He's not going to empower us. This is the amazing thing that we don't, God has provided nothing in and of ourselves to live this Christian life. Did you know that? There's nothing intrinsically about you where you can actually do what the Bible says. His goal for you isn't to make you that. His goal, he wants to live inside you and through you. He wants to empower you with himself. So religion says you stink and you need to do better. Christianity says you stink and you can't do better. Religion says um, that you have a debt to pay, so you better get bit busy. You know, you got, you, got, so you got to do some good deeds. You got to go to church. And so many people's attitude to church, like, I, you know, I go, I go, it's off the church. I, I owe, I'm, I'm in trouble. I need to go to, I need to pay off this debt. Christianity says that you don't need more, you, you do owe a debt, but you don't need more willpower, but you need more Christ power in and through you. And so we go to him uh, because he's going to help us and because he's going to empower us. The beauty of Christianity is that when you trust in Jesus, you don't have to hide from, when you sin, you don't have to hide from Jesus. You don't have to hide from the Father. You don't have to hide from God because you're already hidden in him. You're already, if you're in a relationship with him. I mean, the Bible does say that the wrath of God is directed towards sinners. Now, I just want to be clear. It doesn't just say that the, the wrath of God is directed towards sin. It's directed towards sinners. So if you are outside of a relationship with Christ, the wrath of God is directed at you. If you are in a relationship with Christ, uh, let me put it this way. We all know the story of, of Noah and the ark. And it, it, it's, the Old Testament gives us a picture like in, in that form of, of what our spiritual life is like. Um, so, so, anyway, um, Noah, when he, when he was um, on earth, God said, hey, look, I'm going to bring this storm. It's going to destroy the earth. And, and he, the, God brought this flood that destroyed everything. The wrath of God came to the earth and destroyed everything. It destroyed everyone except those who climbed inside the ark. The, the wrath of God is directed at the, at the world and those in the world except those who climb into Jesus. And, that, and then at the end of the ark, when Noah and his family were saved, he, God gave a promise. He says, I will never do this again. And God gives you the same promise. He says, I will no longer count your sins against you. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you are in Christ this morning, you can have confidence. You can run. That you're, you're not running to someone who's going to judge you. If you're not in Christ, if you're not a Christian, this is, this is serious business. 
and I hope that through you being a part of here today or any other day, that, that you come to him. He, he wants to give you mercy. He wants to give you grace. He wants to show you a life that you can't even really imagine. You don't have to fear him in your struggle, and you can get help when you need help. What's at stake here? Well, what's at stake is your joy. If you're struggling, one of the ploys of the enemy is to say that, you, you know, you're on an island. Like, you're, no, you're, this, you're, the problem and the struggle you're going through is totally unique. You, you're struggling like no one's ever struggled before. No one's going to understand. No person and certainly no God is going to understand what you're going through. There's no, the number, he wants to, he wants to isolate you and he wants, he wants you to think the very opposite of what this verses are telling you to do. You will run from the, the only person who can actually help you. If you don't run to, you're just going to spiral down and spiral down and spiral down. But he wants, so you're going to miss out on joy. But here's another problem you're going to have. Is, um, when you begin to mute, to, to, to see God as, God is distant and other. I mean, that, it's, it's, that's a great juxtaposition of Christianity, that he is other, he is all-powerful, yet somehow he's brought us near, and he's brought us near not on our own merit, but by the blood. And, we, and our brains have a problem with that. And, and one of the problems that we have in working out what this life is in grace is that we, we feel like he's, he doesn't really understand, and we begin to slowly remove the humanity away from Jesus. And when we remove the humanity away from Jesus, we begin to not see him as our advocate and as the one that we can run to. And, when, and actually, when we begin to remove the humanity away from Jesus, we begin to remove the humanity from people like me, church leaders. And then when we do that, we actually begin to remove the humanity away from the church. And here's what happens. People who don't regularly run to the throne of grace, people who don't regularly be honest about where they're struggling and suffering, they end up coming into a place like this and they pretend that everything is okay when it's not. Romans 12.9, this is like hallmark Christianity. It's talking about what the community should look like. And he says, let love be genuine or let love be without hypocrisy. That word hypocrisy means to pretend. It's, it's a theatrical word that means to put on the mask. So for love and, and this atmosphere of grace to be live and kicking, we, the, the scriptures are saying the church cannot afford to play this game where we, we, we come in, we put on this mask and pretend that everything is okay when it's not. Two things will happen. One, you won't get help. But secondly... Other people who come in, other people who come in who are struggling, who are barely holding on to their faith, are those who are not even Christians at all, are going to look at you pretending, are going to look at all of us pretending. And they're going to think that, hey, for me to be a Christian, I've got to have a perfect life. And what ends up happening is if you are not honest with where, when you struggle, if you are not honest when you struggle, you begin to create this legalistic false expectation that is cruel and crushing. Why? Because you're not honest. Well, I'm not hurting anyone. I'm just kind of like, I'm just keeping things private and to myself. Theology of grace. I'm, I'm perfectly loved and accepted by the Father. I'm free from trying to create my own righteousness. I'm free from trying to live up to the expectations of others. 
God has loved me despite me. That, that works itself into a practice that I live as though that's actually true, that creates this atmosphere of love, grace, and acceptance. But if you come in here, if, you're part, if you just pretend that everything's okay, you, you'll unintentionally, I know you don't mean to do this, you're great people, you're nice people, I know you don't mean to do this, but you will create something legalistic, cruel, and crushing because you'll create this environment that the way Christian life is, look, is lived out is you just pretend that everything is okay. And you let go of your confession. We want to hold on to our confession. What's our confession? That we've messed up and need a savior. And that we, we have a throne of grace. It's not a throne of law. Yeah, he's, yeah, we have sinned. And he's paid the price for this. And we can run. We can run to him. And guess what happens when we run to him? We get grace and we get help to be different. But when you don't, you stay, you stay in your misery... And we, and we end up creating this kind of atmosphere that's legalistic, unintentionally cruel, and crushing. I mean, we're all on different journeys. Some of us are like, we're just like, like this is Jesus. We're like this close. To, we're just so close to Jesus. Some of us are just kind of close. Some of us are like so far. I mean, we're looking, you know, is that just a good prophet? Is that really Jesus? Or who is that? We're all in different places on our journey. And what we want to do is at Jubilee is we want to create this environment where it is okay not to be okay. Where it's okay where, because it's not just like we're trying to like, hey, you know, you live the way you want to live. That's not what we're saying. We're saying Jesus accept me despite me of me. So I accept you despite you of you. And I'm going to love you regardless. And because I love you, I'm going to do what Hebrews also says later on. Is I'm going to help spur you on to love and good deeds. And let's go to the throne of grace together. Let's go to the foot of the cross. There's room, there's space, there's mercy, there's forgiveness, there's healing, there's wholeness. Let's go. And what if we all did that? Can you imagine? I mean, we know what, we can all imagine or even maybe experience what church looks like when everybody pretends. When everybody puts up a front. It's, it's you know, hi, how you doing, Smyanga? It's nice for like an hour. But it's crushing every other day of the week. And then you struggle. What, are you going to tell a, a Christian friend? No. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go to God. God expects me to be perfect. God expects me to do certain things. Now God understands. He didn't fall into sin like you did, but he does understand. You can go to him. He'll give you grace. And it will create, we'll, 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 under this theology of grace, we'll, we'll, have, we'll practice grace and we'll have this atmosphere of grace where people, all, all different kinds of people can come in and find the hope. Because that's the way Jesus was. He, he was just open-handed. He's open-handed with his life. He's open-handed about where he's at. He invited people in. And we want to be that kind of community. A lot is at stake with you being honest about where you're really at. It's one of the reasons why community groups are so huge for us. It's where life on like relationships, where we can confess our sin to each other, where we can help each other, where we can pick each other up. It's what we, we do series like we're going to do here in a few weeks, uh, the secret series. It's where someone in the church just, they tell something that's very dark about their past. 
that they thought they would never tell anyone. And so we get them on camera <laughs> and tell everyone. And they're so freaked out every time. And then, and then they, the, the whole community sees what they went through and how God came in and really transformed their life. And they got grace from God. You know what? They got grace from everyone else. They got thank, thank you. I've been struggling with the same thing. I didn't think I could tell anyone. I've gone through the same thing. It happens every single time. Why? Because we, we don't want people running away from Jesus. We want people running to Jesus. And how, in you being honest about where you're at and how you relate to other people has everything to do with somebody finding Jesus or not finding Jesus. What do you want your Christian witness to be? Do you want it to represent something cold and legalistic where people need to be perfect in order to approach God? Or do you want to be a witness to the grace and mercy of Jesus? Do you want to hold fast to your confession that yes, you've made a mess of your life, but Jesus in his grace and his mercy loved you anyway and he saved you and he changed you and he is ongoing changing you. And, and you can say to people, there's, there's grace and mercy in Jesus. In fact, I've got, there's a whole community of people I can introduce you to who are practicing this, that you can experience this kind of love and mercy and wholeness and joy and peace.